Good morning. Such a blessing to be here and to be home at Faith Bible Church. Uh, Australia has really become our home uh, after 23 years of ministry there. Uh, But you know, when you have a traveling ministry like mine, there are some things that are like anchors in your life. And Faith Bible Church is one of those anchors in my life. And every time I come here and greet the people who've been praying for us, supporting us, uh, behind our ministry, and just spend time uh, with you, uh, my heart is strengthened in the Lord. And I thank you so much for the role that you play in my life and for this chance to uh, uh, sow back into your life a little bit through God's Word. I love God's Word and what it does in our lives and how God uses it. Uh, Whenever I speak, I like to uh, start off with a question to get your mind engaged. And so I'd like you to just turn to someone next to you and just for about 30 seconds discuss this question. What is the purpose of convicting passages of Scripture? Go to it. Don't say, to convict me. (laughs) All right. Let me hear a couple of your thoughts. What's the purpose for convicting passages of Scripture? Okay, to examine yourself and look inward. What else? To move you in a direction you may not want to go. Okay. To reveal our shortcomings. Okay. Was there one over here? All right. Well, uh, this is the purpose of convicting passages of Scripture. The purpose of passages that really convict you spiritually is not condemnation, but invitation. Right? When God speaks to you and reveals things in your heart and life, sometimes it's painful to see those things, but always God's purpose is invitation to move forward. It's like the difference between punishment and discipline. If a parent punishes their child, their child has offended them, they're angry, they're upset, they're getting back at the child in some way. But if the parent disciplines their child, the motivation is love and a desire for that child to grow and develop in this area. Well, this is what convicting passages of scripture are all about. May give you a little hint as to where we're going in our sermon today. Let's start, though, with prayer. Lord Jesus, we just come to you personally this morning, and we say to you, we are here to listen to you and to meet with you. We know your loving presence guides us into the scriptures to grow us, and so we just ask you now, as we open your word, speak to us, right into our lives, speak to me personally, and Lord, if you have something to say to me, each one of us. We're ready to listen, ready to respond to you. Meet with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Alright, well before we go to the convicting passage of scripture, I want to take you to a beautiful invitation of Jesus. And we're going to end with this passage, but let's start there as well. John chapter 7. John chapter 7. This is actually the first passage I ever preached on in preaching class many, many, many years ago. It's not the passage I'm preaching on today, but we want to start there. John chapter 7, look at starting in verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you do that, out of your innermost being will gush rivers of living water. Now, as you know, Jesus Christ constantly soaked himself in the scriptures. And the scriptures for Jesus, there was no New Testament, it was the Old Testament. And when Jesus refers to living waters numerous times... In his ministry, he's got one passage in his mind from the Old Testament. And that is the convicting passage we want to go to together now. So go back in your Bible, near the middle of your Bible, to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. A message from God through the prophet Jeremiah to his people, the people of Israel. Here's what he says. Jeremiah 2, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, saying, and here's God speaking, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. And here's God's message to his people. I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride. How you followed me in the wilderness. You just hear God thinking back to those early days of the people of Israel when they left Egypt by faith following Moses and trusting God and saw God's miracles at the crossing of the Red Sea, his provision of manna in the wilderness, how he led them from place to place. And then came Joshua and Joshua's challenge, choose this day whom you will serve. And the people said, we will serve the Lord. And God is talking about those early days of his relationship with Israel. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. And he goes on just talking about this beautiful relationship he had with the people of Israel. But 
Things did not stay that way. If you come down to verse 5, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and went after emptiness and became empty. They didn't say, where is the Lord? When that started to happen in their lives and they started to walk away from God and became empty, they didn't even ask, where is the Lord? Man, remember what it was like when we walked with God. No, they just forgot God. They didn't say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits, and on it goes. Come down to verse 8. Even the priests, those who should have been calling the people back to God, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law, that's the Old Testament scripture, the Bible teachers, did not know me. The shepherds, the pastors, transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, the idol of the nations around them, and went after things that do not profit. Verse 10. God is looking at this and saying, why would you do that? Verse 10, cross to the coasts of Cyprus or Katim. This is way west across the Mediterranean Sea. Cross to the coasts of Cyprus. Go on a search and see. Or send to Kedar, way to the east, a tribal people far across the desert. Go way west and do your study. Go way east and look at all the peoples on the way. And see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are not gods, even though they're just idols that the people themselves have carved out of wood or out of stone and are now worshipping, even though they're not really gods, still none of them have changed their gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled. Oh heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living Waters. There's the passage that was in Jesus' mind in John chapter 7. They have forsaken me, the fountain, the spring of living waters. 
and hewed out for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now let me just tell you, I have been numerous times to the nation of Israel. And it is a desolate, dry uh, countryside over there. And water is precious. Water is so precious in that part of the world that many wars have been fought over who controls the water in, in various places in that part of the world. And when you go to the nation of Israel, you discover very quickly that there are two sources of water. One is the springs of water. And everyone knows where those springs are. You travel far north in the nation of Israel, up the Jordan River, past the Sea of Galilee, to where the Jordan River even flows into the Sea of Galilee. And far north, up near Caesarea Philippi, there are three huge springs of water that all flow out of the rock and come together to become the Jordan River. One of those in particular is incredible. You go there to to the source of this spring and it's just fountaining up. It's, It's roaring out of the rocks. This massive channel of water and it just comes pouring down deep, fast. You can white water raft on it, rushing down there to join the other two springs to make the Jordan River. Cold, clear, beautiful water. Everyone in Israel knows that is the spring of living water. The other source, if you don't have access to the spring of living water, is that you will, on your property, on your, uh, on your farm, or if you live in a town or a city, the city does it, very soon after you start digging down, you get to rock, uh, solid rock in Israel, and you take your chisel and your hammer and you start hewing out of the solid rock a cistern. And you make it quite large, a small opening, but it opens up and it's quite big inside. In fact, in Jerusalem itself, they have unearthed cisterns that are referred to in the Gospels, of course, the Pool of Siloam, the Pool of Bethesda. And some of these cisterns, I would say, are almost the size of this sanctuary and probably at least twice as deep as this sanctuary, if not more. And they would fill them up with water. So they would channel the rainwater so it would run into those cisterns and they would have that water supply during the long, uh, dry times. Well, you spend all this time. You chisel, you're hauling all this rock out of the opening, you get all the way down, you make your big thing, and you get down near the bottom and you're cutting away. And as you cut, you find you've cut through a seam and there's a crack in the rocks. It's a broken cistern. It holds no water. It doesn't matter how much water you channel in there. It's going to be empty pretty quick. They have forsaken me, the fountain, the spring of living water to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, he goes on to describe what some of those broken cisterns are. Come down to verse 18. Now, what do you gain by going to Egypt? You think in your trade with Egypt or your relationship with Egypt, you're going to get what you need. 
to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. Well, a convicting passage of scripture, right? (laughs) And really, this whole chapter is about verse 13. My people have committed two evils. Now, let's just look at and unpack a little bit uh, these two evils. And just notice what he says. Who has committed these two evils? My people. Not those pagan nations around them who don't know God. My people have committed two evils. So let's just look at what he says there. Evil number one, they have forsaken me. It's a sin of omission. (laughs) They left God out of their lives. There was a time when they loved God intensely like a bride. And maybe even when you think in your own life, back earlier in your Christian life, you can remember a time like that. A time when you just loved to spend time with God. And you'd gather with your friends and you'd just study His Word together. Prayer was such an important part of your life, your relationship with God was growing, you were so excited to be walking with God in your life. But something changed. And in Israel's case, it started with distraction. And then they forgot God and left Him out of their lives. They forsook Him. Do you find yourself leaving God out of your life? (laughs) Do you come to church on Sunday and open your Bible and realize, oh man, I haven't opened my Bible since last time I was here. Do you sit down to pray And realize, I can't remember the last time I just prayed on my own. Because I wanted to talk to God. Are you leaving God out of your life? I remember when we first moved to Australia in ministry. And God was just opening doors like crazy. And I was taking every opportunity that was given me. And I remember counting from one Sunday to the next and counting out 20 times I had preached in that week. And God was at work doing great things. But you know what started to happen? My busyness for God left no room for my relationship with God. My fruitful, spiritual, effective ministry was hurting my relationship with God. I wasn't coming to the fountain of living waters and drinking deeply, renewing my own spiritual life. My spiritual life started to dry up 
It impacted on my relationship with Lois, my wife. She too was struggling. We started to have conflict in our marriage. All this time, fruitful ministry was happening out there. But I was starting to feel like a total fake. And the thing that makes this forsaking of God appalling to God is that he is the fountain of living waters. You know, we're born with a need for God because he made us to need him. Not only that, but we are born with a thirst for God, a sense that tells us we need something more. And for many people, they don't realize that it's God that they're thirsty for. And they're looking, trying to fill that void in their life in some way or another. And many believers, many Christians are there also. There's something in us that tells us something's wrong, something's missing, something's not right. And God is the answer to that void in your life. I remember sitting down on a plane one time last year, flying from Sydney to Perth, about a five-hour flight. And as I got onto this plane, I was exhausted. I was so drained emotionally, physically. You know, you don't normally look forward to a five-hour plane flight. But I was looking forward to this flight five hours of me time, alone. Normally when I get on a plane, I'm looking around me, who's there that God's going to put next to me, I want to be a witness in their life. I wasn't doing that this time, I just needed some rebuilding time. I sat down on the plane, big plane, several seats on either side, and four seats in the middle section, and I was on the aisle seat on this side, two empty seats, and a guy was on the far seat. <sighs> Great. Put my stuff down on the seat, put my noise-canceling headphones on, started the movie before the plane even took off. Last second before they closed the door, these two girls came (laughs) down the aisle and sat in the seats here, right next to me. Great. You know, I took all my stuff off the seat that I had organized there, stuck it in the pocket in front of my knees, and I didn't even stop my movie, right? I was watching my movie. We took off. About an hour into the flight, they brought lunch around. I'd eaten lunch in the airport, so I wasn't that hungry. I ate some of it, but I I had my cheese and crackers left over. And I glanced over. These girls had cleaned up every crumb on their uh, airline lunch. So without even pausing my movie, I just picked up my cheese and cracker and waved them like this. I said, you want my cheese and crackers? Well, she took them and she just started talking to me. So I thought, okay, pause my movie, take my headphones off, chatted with her a little bit. She she said, well, what do you do? Now, normally, I share exactly what I do because it opens up conversation. But I said, I train people. (laughs) I didn't want a big conversation. Oh, really, who are you training in Perth? 
A group of church leaders. Oh. Well, you know, I respect you for what you do, but I don't believe what you believe. Sweet, no opening here. Headphone applause. <laughs> Start the movie again. <laughs> I seriously did that. And... Um, about 15 minutes later, she turns to me and just starts talking. I mean, she didn't even get my attention or anything. She just started talking to me. And so, pause the movie, you know, headphones off. <laughs> and she turned to me and she said, you know, I respect you for what you do, but I don't believe what you believe. And I thought, okay, she really wants to talk about this. So I said, well, what do you believe? And we started this conversation, but she was not open in her heart at all. A dear friend of hers had had a child that was born with a terrible disease and she, her heart was not all, at all open to a God who would allow that to happen. And several times I tried to start interacting with her about that and talking through that with her, but she had none of it, right? She didn't want to hear it. And I started talking with her a little bit about the brokenness that we find in our lives when we push God away out of our lives. And she started to just cut me off again. But I just interrupted her and I said, don't you feel it? And she said, what do you mean? I said, don't you feel it in your inner being that something is not right? That things are not the way that they ought to be? That something is missing? And it was a long pause. And she said, well, yes. (laughs) And then she said, you keep talking about what God has done in your life. I know there's a story there. Tell me your story. And I was like, yes. And I told her the total brokenness that was in my life. My sense of aloneness. That nobody loved me. That nobody could love me. My sense of hopelessness. And then my encounter with Jesus Christ and how his love filled up my life and began to change me. And at the end of that, she said, you know, I read you wrong. I thought you were a fake. But I see you've encountered God and it's impacted your life in a deep way. Well, she didn't put a trust in Christ in that conversation. But you know, when I got off the plane and I was waiting for my co-worker who was seated a few rows behind us, she came off and, and she came over and she said, thank you for that conversation. I'm really thinking about it. She took steps towards God. But here is the point. He is the answer to the void in your life. The second evil that they've committed, they're trying to fill the void and satisfy the thirst with things that can never do that. It's a sin of commission. They're putting something in a place that only God can occupy. There's so many things that we do. We put relationships in that place. That's what I was doing before I came to Christ. Trying to get love out of all these relationships and never 
finding it fulfilling. In fact, no good relationships as a result. Until I encountered Jesus Christ. Your ministry can be that broken cistern. That's what I was looking to when we moved to Australia. Just thinking significant ministry is what will give me a sense of significance. It never will. You think your spouse is going to make you happy and meet those deepest inner needs in your life? If you believe that, you are just setting yourself up for disappointment because they will not and cannot be that in your life. You think a focus on your kids will accomplish this for you? It will not. It's broken cisterns. We get into, so for some people we get into gaming on the Xbox or the computer and we think that, I'm feeling a little void, a little empty and we get on my game. None of these things are wrong in themselves, right? Ministry's not wrong. Your spouse is not wrong. Your kids are not wrong. Uh, your gaming time is not wrong. But when you put those things in the place that only God can fill, it becomes an idol in your life. That will never, ever meet that deep inner need in your life. A convicting passage. So let's just go back to the beautiful invitation from Jesus. John chapter 7. The beautiful invitation from Jesus. And if we had time, we'd stop on the way to John 7 in John 4. And Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. When he said to her, If you knew who was speaking with you, you would have asked him and he would have given you... What? Living water. He's thinking of Jeremiah too. Me, the fountain of living waters. The spring of living waters. Everyone who drinks of this water, he says to her, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. This water was symbolic of the broken cisterns in her life. She said, man, give me some of that water. He said, go call your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Actually, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. She's been looking for love in all those relationships. And they can never be to her what she was created to experience. The love of God. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says in John 7. If anyone is thirsty, are you thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. You know, my wife and I were in that terrible, dry place. Right then we came on one of our trips home to America. I was invited to speak on the Sunday night at First Baptist of Atlanta. I spoke in that service. Louis Giglio was in the audience. Louis and I had been in Sunday school together. And he came up to me after the service and he said, John, we're starting this new thing called Passion Conferences. 
And our next one is in just a few weeks in Fort Worth. I don't know if you'll be in that area, but if you are, here's two tickets for you and your wife. Well, in God's timing, we were in Dallas that very weekend because we were meeting with a church there. We had our two oldest kids were just little kids back then. We couldn't leave them alone. And so on the Friday night, Lois stayed with the kids and I went to the Passion Conference. Saturday morning, I stayed with the kids and she went to the Passion Conference. She came home at lunchtime, stayed with the kids, and I went in the afternoon. Then I came home at dinner and she went in the evening. We went to every meeting. And for both of us, we were standing there in those meetings, just focused on the worship and honor of God, the teaching of John Piper, and we were just there, tears streaming down our faces. Who knows what the people next to us thought was going on. But we were drinking from the fountain of living waters again. (laughs) Drinking. That water flows through your daily relationship with the Lord. That's why even as a believer, when you take God out of the center of your life, you start struggling again. The void is there in your life. That sense that you're thirsty, that nothing seems to be satisfying you. And you need to come back. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will gush, that's the literal word, will gush rivers of living water. In his journeys, just before he says that, Jesus has just come from the far north of Israel, right from the place where he had watched the living water gushing out of the rock. And he says, that's what's going to happen in your life. Not only will that void be filled up and met, but I will start gushing out of your life and into the lives of the people around you. They too will find the living water through encountering me in you. This he spoke of the Spirit and his work in your life. Do you hear the Lord Jesus speaking to you personally this morning? Don't ignore it. You'll miss the fountain. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this convicting passage of scripture. And through it, we hear so clearly your loving invitation. If you're thirsty, you can come back to the fountain, the spring of gushing, living water. Stop digging at that cistern that can hold no water. Lord, as we hear your invitation to us, we just want to come to you this morning. With all of those broken cisterns in our hands, we want to bring them to the altar 
Lord, we know many of those things are things that should be in our lives, but they are occupying a wrong place in our lives. And some of them you're calling us to take out of our lives, even if they're not bad. At least for a time to learn to depend on you. Others, you want us to rearrange the place they have in our lives. But whatever we do with those things, you want us to come and put you right back in the center. And our relationship with you back in the center. You want us to come and recognize and acknowledge and admit to you, Yes, Lord, I have been putting those things in your place. I've been seeking for the filling the void in my life with those things. And I ask your forgiveness. And I bring you right back into the center of my life. I want to go back to those days of fervent love for you. Keeping my relationship with you absolutely in the center of my life. Come to me and drink, he says. I'm there for you. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.